that is in this room and being utilized for this session today is a little overwhelming, but uh, it's good to be in new situations that are going to challenge us to be stretched and do new things. So um, this morning what we're going to do is start out with basically uh, about a a 60-minute presentation to sort of set the frame for our time together. And we do have participants that are in remote sites, and we're going to be doing a little bit of a role play, and I was able to prep some of our local Missoula folks for this, but not folks at our our remote site. So let me just put out the invitation now that we are going to need someone at our Kalispell site to role play a principal in a scenario that we'll discuss in a little more detail. But basically, this is a role play of a scenario where kids have been given netbook laptops and a one-to-one. The school really hasn't done much in the way of preparing parents and teachers for this. In class, one of the first days the kids had the laptop, uh, some student took a picture of the class and a parent got upset that that photograph was posted on the internet. So they're at Kalispell, uh, and we're going to be doing uh, this role play later in the morning. Um, We will let you all nominate from your ranks somebody who will be able to role play the principal there. That may be an active principal currently, or it may be somebody else who's just a very (laughs) outgoing and enthusiastic uh, person who's going to be able to role play this with whatever information you'd like to make up about your situation and... and, uh, you, you can be creative with this. And the other person that we're going to need uh, will be in Billings. So we're going to need somebody to role play a technology coordinator in that situation. So be thinking about folks in your sites, Billings. We're going to actually have right here in Missoula uh, Jeff role playing the student. And Jeff, you are from? Uh, from Lolo. From Lolo, all right. And Jennifer is going to be the parent of Jeff, the parent of the child who took it. And Jennifer, you are from? From Darby. All right. So anyway, we will look forward to that a little bit later this morning. All of the resources from today are going to be uh, linked in several places, and one of the ways you can get to them is by going to the, the tiny URL that is on your screen. It's tinyurl.com slash mtvision, which stands for Montana Vision. And <clears throat> one of the challenges that we'll talk about today, working in blended environments, you know, is how do we get students to a common page? How do we, you know, launch out into these resources and make these kinds of connections? And so using a URL shortener like that is a good thing. We are also going to be using Twitter. And after this initial presentation, we're going to have a hands-on session where we're going to invite everyone on all sites, if you're not already, to create a Twitter account and to use what's called the Twitter hashtag. We'll explain this some more, but basically it's the pound sign followed by MT Vision. And here in Missoula, if you look up on this wall, you see the website Twitterfall, which we have just loaded with the search for MT Vision. And so you're going to see a back channel, a conversation People posting questions, people making observations, um, people uh, sharing links, and that is going to be shown here on the screen. And that's also going to be archived. What we want to do is provide opportunities for you, number one, to get all these resources, and number two, be able to experience a blended learning environment. Twitter might not be what you and your teachers in this classroom are going to use um, as a back channel 
for a, for a regular class, and we'll talk about some other options. But this opportunity for us to have a multi-way conversation for this not just to be a one-way delivery is a real hallmark of what we can do with learning in the 21st century. So... On a personal note, before I talk about vision, I'm overjoyed to be here in Montana. I've been asked, have you been to Montana before? And I said, I don't know if lunch in Red Lodge counts. <laughs> because my dad grew up in Powell, Wyoming, went to Cody, Wyoming, probably every three or four years growing up to visit my aunt and uncle, Marge and Dick Wilder. This is a small world, and it may be possible we've got folks in our session today who, who know the Wilders and know um, some of our uh, friar roots in Powell. Uh, I... Uh, I'm excited to be here and hope to return when it is a little bit warmer with my family. <laughs> However, um, you know, Oklahoma, I lived, lived in Oklahoma now for, for four and a half years, and um, there's a lot of interesting similarities that we might explore and talk about in terms of pioneer spirit and the people who have come to Montana and stayed in Montana and Oklahoma. Also, the uh, native heritage that we share, um, the voices of people and tribes that may have been in our formal textbooks, may have not, the opportunity that technology has for people to tell stories, uh, to share perspectives, and to connect in ways that we haven't before. So... We are going to talk about vision. How many of you in the room today either wear contacts or have glasses? How many of us do? All right. How many of you would be in a bad space if you didn't have your glasses or contacts today? All right. We need to have good vision because if we don't, we're not able to see opportunities. And in some cases, we might misrespond or poorly respond to a challenge. Um, what do we know about a, a stressful situation? I came into the airport here and saw that grizzly bear right there. I told my wife, she said, oh, my gosh, you already saw a bear. I said, honey, it was stuffed. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, just roaming the streets. This isn't Nome, Alaska. But when I am faced with some kind of a stressor, what do we know about the brain and what happens to our brains? What is that response called? It's called the fight-or-flight response, and we are evolutionarily uh, and genetically programmed to have that response. And that can be a great thing for survival because when we have a fight-or-flight response, adrenaline comes into our veins and we, you know, are ready for action and we're going to, you know, take... Some, some kind of drastic action. We're going to either run, we're going to fight, we're ready to do something. But also what we know psychologically is that in the fight-or-flight response, we become less capable of making reasoned decisions, thinking things out. We tend to be reflexive and do things quickly. And today there's a lot of fear surrounding technology. There's a lot of fear surrounding, oh my gosh! Kids have these things in their pockets that can take pictures and take video and they can share them. And there's all kinds of harmful things that they can do with that. Well, that's true. But it's also the case that we can do a lot of powerful, constructive, and positive things. And it's really like many other tools. I've been criticized or heard, you know, somebody said, don't call the, tech, the, the computer just a tool because it's protein, meaning flexible, in a way that a shovel's not, right? To give you a shovel, it's kind of a single-use thing, right? Give you a piece of chalk or a, or a vis-a-vis pen, that's not nearly as flexible as a smartphone or a laptop. But at the same time, I can use any of those things for good or ill. How many of you have a pencil with you today? 
How many of you could use this in a distracting way, harmful way? You think we could stick that in the ceiling? Yeah, probably could. You know, we're probably not going to do that. We're not going to poke our neighbor. But there's all kinds of dangerous things I can do with a tool. What we need to help our students do is become equipped to make responsible choices, to understand they're accountable for the decisions and choices they make, and to leverage these tools for learning, because really we're in the most exciting day ever for learning. So we're also, though, in a day filled with bubble sheets. Um, How many tests do kids at your school take that involve a bubble sheet or a Scantron, would you estimate, um, per year for the grade levels? Anybody have a guesstimate? Four, three, anybody doing benchmarks, regular benchmark testing? I taught um, my initial six years in Texas where um, No Child Left Behind was birthed. And um, while academic expectations and raising the bar for achievement is really, really important, one of the difficulties in a bubble sheet world is that, you know, Somebody said, if you tell the lie long enough, people will believe it. One of the lies that's been told repeatedly in our country is what matters, the stuff that matters is on this test. And we know as educators, there's a lot more that matters. It matters whether you can respect other people and work with them in an appropriate way. It matters if you understand um, how important it is to respect people from other cultures and from other backgrounds. It matters... Uh, as a teacher, what your goals are as a learner and who you are as a learner. The relationship we have is vital. Why do kids drop out of school? Lots of reasons, but one of the biggest is they don't feel connected in a relationship to some significant person at the school. That's not to do with the test. So we have challenges today because we need to expand our vision, and I believe our leadership, and hopefully it will eventually in our country, uh, recognize that Things are important in education that extend beyond the bubble sheet. How many of you have seen this movie, Waiting for Superman? Okay. I was not able to see it when it came out in Oklahoma because it was only privately aired in one place, and it it, it didn't show up anywhere else. I had to actually see it when I was in Dallas. Um, It is now at our $2 movie, so I just saw the other night. Oh, my gosh, it's there. We can go see it. Well, if you're waiting for Superman, here he is. His name is Lance Ford. He lives in Howe, uh, Oklahoma, and he actually wears a Superman suit to some of the professional development workshops that he does. Uh, No, that's that's not true. We tend to sometimes think of tech. Somebody pointed out this is a little, I'm not going to just, you know slight Lance, but they're like, that was a few years ago, Lance, I think it was. Um, Anyway, uh, Lance is a great guy, um, but Superman and Superwoman um, are in this room right here today. You all had a State of the State address last night, and I happened to catch a headline of the the Daily Missoulin this morning, and one of the quotations I thought was most interesting was from, I think, the Speaker of the House, Mike Milburn, and he said, real and new wealth comes from the ground. And it's hard to to, uh, contradict or to um, take on that that idea. I mean, I don't know. I know more about Wyoming than than than, uh, Montana. But, gosh, the amount of natural resources available and the ways that that has impacted learning. I know in Powell, I I think they had to decide. They had so much excess money. We've got to build a new pool. Oh, my gosh. We've got to do, you know, what are we going to do with all this extra money? Um, Oklahoma is similarly a resource-rich state. 
Um, but the fact is, while the income may come from our geology and from our natural resources, innovation comes from people. And the investment that we need to make and we're talking about making today is in people because it's only through the creativity, the innovation, the drive, the motivation of individuals that any of that wealth is extracted from the ground or we find other ways to generate wealth today. So I want to start with an observation that is not to do with technology, it is to do with teaching. We've lived now in two different states since I've been married. Lived in Lubbock, Texas. Now we live in Edmond, Oklahoma, just north of Oklahoma City. This is my son. Um, the year that we moved to Oklahoma uh, and started third grade, and this is his third grade teacher. You can go to the best school in town. You can buy the best house you can or just the house that's in that school district. It all comes down to that teacher, right? Because in the same building, you can have kids with completely different experiences, and we have departmentalization, and we get into middle and high school and lots of teachers. But let's not forget how vital the role of the educator is. And let's remember, we don't have a teacher recruitment problem in our nation today. We have a lot of kids coming out of schools wanting to teach. We have a retention problem because the studies show that after five years, most of our students are going to leave the profession. Those that are remaining um, we're here not just because of the money. We're here because, and a large part of passion, and I want you to remember and get in touch with why you got in this profession in the first place. Okay? Nobody was a great teacher for you because of the film strip projector. <laughs> or because of that overhead. Ooh, look at the colored pens we got to use. You know, anybody here have, um, maybe you still do, hands that are colored at the end of the day because of your overhead, you know, teaching fourth grade math. Our multimedia was green, uh, red, and black pens, you know, that we could use on the pen. So I want to remind you also that leadership is not positional. How many of you are, that, and I'll be able to uh, see Kalispell, because I can see you all um, on our screen. We're only seeing one side at a time. So Kalispell can raise hands. And then here, how many of you are a principal or a superintendent um, that are in our audience today by a show of hands? Okay. Do we have any tech directors that are here? Any curriculum people? Do we have any classroom teachers that are here? How about educational service center or service unit um, support people? Any librarians? Any others? How about university? Any university folks? Okay, we've got some. we got some people that wear multiple hats. I'm a university person, too. Okay, remember leadership is not just positional. We are in school systems that reinforce that idea that where is the leader? It's right here. It's the person that has this job. But leadership is about influence, and we all have the ability to influence others around us. So whether you have the position at the top of the food chain in the pyramid in your building or in your district, remember that leadership is about influence, and we all have that opportunity to be leaders. So the number one thing Karen and I could possibly hope to do today is, I think, to help us digitally connect with smart people. Uh, Karen, I'm going to put you on the spot here in a second because I wanted to let, uh, let you introduce yourself. So I'm going to let you uh, do that here in a second and talk about digitally connecting. The number one way I get professional development today when I can't be face-to-face -face with people as we are this week is through Twitter. It's a hard thing to explain, and we're going to go into some detail. When I first heard this, it was at the National Computing Conference, I think, in maybe 2000 and. 
six in Atlanta, 2007. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of. Why would I want to know what you had for breakfast? You know, I don't care. And why would I want to share why I, you know, I'm having coffee today at Starbucks? Big deal. Okay. The thing is, sharing 140 characters of text that can include links has morphed into a real powerful platform for sharing ideas, sharing resources, and getting help. And one of the things we're going to encourage you to, to do in this session is to begin, if you're not already, building that learning community both locally here in Montana, but globally with other teachers. See, there might not be many folks at your school or in your office who are really excited about leveraging the power of technology in the classroom. But Chris Anderson, who wrote The Long Tail, explains to us, when we look across a large population like the world, there's all kinds of people who are excited about it and doing innovative things and are willing to share. So I think this is the number one most important thing we could possibly do today. I mean, naively, I would, you know, we could say, I want to help you transform everybody's vision for learning. Well, that's not going to happen, okay? Hopefully we'll inspire some of you. But if you will leave this place connected to some new people and able to connect to them on an ongoing basis, that influence and that experience, I believe, will be far more transformative than anything we could do in a day and a half. So let's go to St. Louis, Missouri. And Karen, would you like to introduce yourself uh, briefly? And if you want to, talk about, uh, you don't have to do your full plug for Twitter, but why do you think it's good to digitally connect with smart people? Good morning. Can you hear me? We can. We can hear you good. Got, got the mute off. Good. Um, wow. Digitally connected to people. You know, I remember a few things. Well, let, let me start with this. When Wes was mentioning the NET, which is now ISTE conference, um, you know, a lot of people follow Wes on Twitter. Anybody, anybody in the room follow Wes on Twitter? Right. By the end of today, probably a lot more of you will. Um, but Wes has a lot of followers, and so we were doing a poster session together, and people were coming up and introducing themselves, and, oh, I follow you on Twitter, I follow you on Twitter. This was a year after the first time he heard about Twitter, and then called me and said they were using this at NAC. You need to check this out. And I felt kind of the way he did. Well, what do you mean? I don't care what people have for breakfast. Uh, people walked up and kept saying this, well, Little me stood there for a while, and a young and a man walked up and said, "Hi, I'm Randy Rogers. Is his name? He's an educator in Texas, and I follow you on Twitter. And boy, did I feel great because Randy and I have shared a lot of resources via Twitter uh, throughout the years. We have children about the same age. Uh, we put things out. We we learned a lot from each other, but we had never met face to face and had been uh, following each other for about a year." Um, I have a lot of Twitter friends. I notice whenever I go to conferences, there are tweet-ups where people want to meet each other that they've never met face-to-face. -face. And I've met many people that way. Um, I had a phone call this morning before we started from someone uh, that I really got to know through Twitter. She was calling to see if I had a suggestion about something she was doing in her school. We've since connected beyond that digital part, but it really started that way. Um, and it's not just Twitter. It's it's other types of social media and other types of connection and building your professional learning network. 
And so one of the things that we're really going to talk about today is building that professional learning network beyond your own school, beyond your own community, and beyond just the people that you interact with once a year at a conference, um, but keeping up with and following them um, all the time and sharing with them and, and asking them for uh, resources and assistance and you know bouncing ideas off of each other. There's a lot of brainstorming that goes on in the digital world. Um, you know, people really take ideas and they start to go, it's wonderful to follow events that you're not actually directly a part of, and we're going to do some back-channeling um, a little bit later, but those types of things. Anything else you want me to address, Wes? Well, how about this? I didn't say who I was. Yeah, I was going to say. You did. Yeah, no, inter yeah, introduce. Tell, what's the weather like in St. Louis today? Where are you? And then tell us just a little bit about how you came to education. Uh, miserable in St. Louis. We have had a horrible winter, but I probably shouldn't say that to people from Montana. <laughs> you won't get much sympathy here. They're very mild. Uh, but we've actually had enough snow days this year that my daughter will probably lose part of her Easter break. Uh, so she's lamenting that. But she likes the snow days. What, is a tough, what does a tough snow day in St. Louis mean? Or what is a tough winter in St. Louis? Because we need to define. The lady who sat next to me in the airport has three feet of snow at her you know, house. So it may yeah, be different. No, no, no. <laughs> we've had six snowstorms come through uh, with about three to five inches of snow on average. Now, this last one, there was nine inches at my house. Um, but we don't, you know, and I, I moved here from New Hampshire as a child. So I remember the first winter my mother said, you don't have to go to school, you have a snow day. And I didn't know what that was because when I lived in New Hampshire, they plowed the roads and you went to school. Uh, but Missouri's a little different. And don't go to the grocery store the day before they're predicting snow because everyone is in there getting bread and milk because they might not get out for a week. <laughs> it is an, an amazing phenomenon here, and I've never gotten used to it. So, um, But I've lived here a long time on and off, and um, this has been a, not a great winter for us. Um, but, you know, it's all relative. <laughs> and a little bit about you and your background educationally. Um, I am a former science teacher from way back. Um, and, I, you know, when I look at myself on here, I start to see this thing, and it really makes me want to go down to my treadmill. Um, <laughs> tells me how old I'm getting to be. I used to look better on video. Uh, I, uh, yeah. I was a teacher for many years, and that led me to a, a kind of a role in community outreach uh, at St. Louis University. I worked for the medical school there for almost 10 years, developing programs for students <laughs> and teachers uh, in the areas of anatomy and health education. Uh, we had to have a certain health education twist to get grant money. Um, so I'm very familiar with the grant world. I've written many grants. Um, that got me into what I'm doing here, video conferencing. Uh, my program at St. Louis University, known as Adventures in Medicine and Science, is still going, and a big part of their business now is digital virtual field trip type of thing. So I um, I was part of that program, got involved with video conferencing, and that led me to a role at AT&T um, as an education advocate, and that's where I met Wes. Uh, we were, for a brief time, our paths kind of crossed at AT&T, and then we're both not at AT&T anymore, but we continue to travel the path together once in a while. Um, I've also worked for a video conferencing company, uh, working with grant writing, and I currently work for a company called Educational Collaborators. Um, we have a very unique model, and, and I can talk a little bit later about some of the things that we see, but I work with a lot of schools that are looking at 
technology initiatives, and I never like to say that, but that's how they approach me. It's really education initiatives that have technology somehow uh, involved. And we work with a lot of one-to-one -one schools, so that's kind of our sweet spot. We talk to schools that are looking at one-to-one -one programs and help them make those programs sustainable by uh, involving them in some strategic planning and some assessment and really help make programs for those people that are involved with us, help them see ways to make their program data-driven um, because it's all about that. You know, we, want, we don't know where we where we are if we don't know where we've come from. So um, I do that as my day job. And then um, sometimes presenting, we were actually in Amarillo what, last week. Yes, so what's went from 70 degrees in Amarillo to Montana. <laughs> it's actually later. wonderful here. I mean, this is, and should I, I should be pleased with this weather today, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Well, and you so, know. Um, Okay. And that, that, assessment, that assessment piece takes us to the idea that we've got to be assessing more than we have before. You know, and that's one of the problems. We're in this middle of, the, of, of a, big, a big change, and sometimes when we do a technology initiative, as it's called, the first question is, well, did test scores go up, right? Well, talk to Irving ISD. Talk to Sam Farsi and, and talk to their uh, leaders like Alice Owens. They did not do a one-to-one -one laptop initiative in Irving, Texas, which they've done for 10 years now, because test scores were going to increase. If test scores stayed the same, that would be okay, or if they went up, but there's all these other things that they wanted to do too. And we'll ask Karen to talk a little bit more about assessment pieces, because I think well, that whole part yeah. is important. I think one of the things, too, to caution schools about a lot of times is we want to see a return on investment, but really what we want to look for is a value on investment. What is the value of that investment that we've made with, with you know, changing the way that we're teaching in the classroom and enhancing the learning and bringing students, you know, one-to-one -one with devices and, and have, being immersed in, in learning all day, 24-7. So, um, I, you know, a lot of times when we talk to schools, there's always that person that says, well, we need to know what the return on investment is, and, and really we, we try to bring them around to looking for a value on investment because you're never going to get back. The cost of those laptops isn't going to be realized necessarily in a way that you can say, well, this was a good purchase because we got this out of it. Well said. Um, I'm going to distract myself if I jump over and... Into my into, into participating in our in our tweets, um, <laughs> which will happen. By the way, do we not live in the most distractible age ever? Okay, how easy is it to be bored today? When's the last time your children or grandchildren said, "I'm bored"? You know, last night. Yeah, it happened at our. We had an ice day in Oklahoma, which we normally get some good ice days. Uh, last week, and my seven-year-old came in and said, "I'm bored." Yes, that's great. Have you drawn a picture lately? Have you done some art lately? Vacation for us is defined by separation from technology, and we like to go camping. And if we can go out, usually to New Mexico, where there's not, you know, we leave all the screens and everything in the car, and the kids say, "I'm bored." That's great. Let's go out and get some sticks and go on a hike, and you know. Go do something uh, non-digital. Non um, my son actually has used my iPad now to type research reports on Google Docs. And one of the most interesting things he said to me was, Dad, I like it better than my laptop 
because it's it's harder to be distracted. Because <laughs> normally we're saying, oh, it doesn't multitask as easily. Well, he actually saw that as a benefit because, you know, for him, um, he's not on Facebook. He's 13. But, you know, there's, all, there's YouTube. There's all these videos. There's lots of things to take a look at. So these are our three key messages today. First one's kind of just broad. We need to go digital at school to a greater degree than we have before. And we're going to talk about some signs of the times that show this. Um, digital sandboxes are essential. Okay? We're going to talk about a sandbox, right? What do you do in a sandbox? You play. You try stuff out. You build things. You make things. This Twitter feed, this back channel we're doing today is a sandbox for us to give you an opportunity to participate and probably most importantly connect because all of these messages that are being tweeted here start with a person and it's possible to follow that person, and we're going to talk about that. So the sandboxes, is, they will, it will lead to more learning. And then we're going to talk about creativity, because creativity is really, really important. Our schools are not set up for creativity. They are set up for standardization. As a parent, what do I want for my child? I want differentiation. I want customization. I want you to meet the needs of my child, because my child is unique. My child is different. My child is special. And so there's this real tension between being able to meet the needs of individual children and the need to deliver education to a broad cross-section of the world, so of our nation. And we'll talk about how we can use technology in transformative ways to do that. Um, how many of you know Dan Pink? You heard of A Whole New Mind? Dan Pink is a great author. He was one of many amazing speakers, along with Ken Robinson, at the World Creativity Forum, or I should say the Creativity World Forum, that's happened in Oklahoma City in November. And a big message that comes out of this movement to promote creativity is that it's not just important within art and culture. All right, do we have anyone here who considers themselves an artist in some domain? All right, let me ask it another way. Who considers themselves creative? You know, we are all creative in different ways. And isn't it sad that in many cases, kids become convinced by the time they get to fifth grade or they get to middle school that you're no longer creative and what you draw is not good enough anymore. And by the way, you don't need to draw that because now we're focusing on other things. We're not focusing on creativity. And by the way, creativity is not just art. It is not just drawing. So I've been a part of the Oklahoma Creativity Project now for probably four years, and I'm on the education committee. And the focus of the project is to promote creativity in art and culture, but also within education and within business and commerce. Gets back to that idea of where does our wealth come from? Well, a lot of it may come from the ground in Montana, Wyoming, and Oklahoma, but the innovative people who are there working are really the change agents that bring that about. So this is a photo that was taken of my children at home maybe three years ago on a Saturday morning. What did you do on Saturday morning when you were a kid? Uh, do we have any changed opportunities to watch cartoons today? Yeah, they're on all the time. It's not a big deal, right? It used to be, oh boy, it was Saturday morning. That's when I can get cartoons, you know. That represents a big change and a big shift. And there's a lot of different things we can say about this. One funny story is my niece, who is going to 
uh, community college in her first year after graduating from Allen High School is becoming a, a teacher. And in her pre-service teaching program, I've shared this picture on Flickr, and I've licensed it openly under a Creative Commons license. Well, her professor actually had this picture <laughs> in her slideshow, like, last semester. And she said, hey, I know those kids. So how wild is that, that, you know, her nieces and nephews, uh, you know, end up in the slideshow on her, of her professor who didn't even know but it's this world of sharing that we live in. So, the world has gone digital. How about our schools? Who's taken a recent road trip? Who thinks they took the longest road trip by hours from point A to point B? Anybody think they took the longest one? In recent, I mean, maybe the last six months. How long was your road trip? Or where'd you go? Twelve hours. Twelve hours, and where'd you go? Um, to Central Central Utah? Okay. I'm going to ask Billings, and uh, I'm going to ask Kalispell, uh, who, who at your sites thinks they took the longest one. Um, anybody challenged 12 hours as a road trip? Where would you go? Then how long was that Wisconsin trip? 26 hours. One way? Really? Wow. You know, it's good. To, why is it good to travel with kids? <laughs> they make you stop, right? And that's actually a good thing, you know? It's better to not just, some, one of my friends says, I go into camel mode. We just go, you know? We don't stop. Um, somebody there in Billings want to chime in? Where was the, actually, where, where, where did you go? And what was your, your time in the car? We put them on the spot here. With video conferencing, it takes a minute. Once they mic it, then it'll change to their location. Here we go. I, I don't think any of us have gone that far. The farthest, the, the latest one I went was probably either Helena or Denton, and that's not near that far. <laughs> How long of a drive is that for you? Three hours, four hours. Lots of things are relative, you know, and some people, if you know, would say, yeah, that. We're talking about long road trips, maybe over 12 hours. Um, in Cody, where do they go when they've got a big medical issue? Billings, how far is that? In the three hours, you know. Um, how about Kalispell? Anybody there take a long trip? East Coast. Um, Las Vegas, about 20 hours. Okay. So think about those trips and think about what might be different. I'm going to show you a clip from a Brad Paisley song called Welcome to the Future. We're not going to see the whole thing. But one of the things that Brad does in this video is he reflects upon what he dreamed about as a child. And he'll begin by talking about his dream to have a Pac-Man game at home. Pac-Man. Remember Pac-Man? He also dreamed about watching television in the car. And I want you to watch quick because that scene's going to go by fast. But look for the TV that Brad has in his car. And it's a very positive message about glory, glory, hallelujah, welcome to the future. So let's take a look at this. <laughs>
pause it there because we'll just show a short little clip of it. Um, I just learned that Helena and Poplar are not connected to us directly, but they are able to see the web feed of this uh, presentation. So what we will ask you all to do in Helena and Poplar as well as elsewhere is please tweet questions. If you've got at least one person there already on Twitter, if you've got a comment or a question, if you will use that hashtag, uh, pound sign MT Vision, and I'm going to ask you all to help give voice to questions which come in on the Twitter feed. Karen's going to do that as well, but um, it's really silly of us to use an interactive technology and be delivery only and not, and not be interactive, so that will give uh, the folks in our other sites a chance to interact. Um, I love this video. I like this message. I like what he goes on to talk about with his grandfather, who was fighting the Japanese just a couple generations before, but today he is on video conferences to Tokyo planning his next concert tour or watching videos of people who have done karaoke uh, impressions of his videos there in Japan. And some of the videos that, or versions of that video you'll see on YouTube now actually have a mix of folks who are there in Japan, you know, and then it goes back to Brad. Every day is a revolution. Well, where's the revolution around us? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Raise your hand if you've used this free program, Skype, to call someone in another place. Okay? Look around the room. This is incredible. All right, hands down. Who's called somebody in another country? Okay? Tell me some of those countries. We'll go around by table. What's a country you, you, what country did you call? Russia. Russia? Ghana. Africa. Ghana, Africa. South Africa. South Africa. France. France. Ireland, Germany, and Colombia, Britain, South Korea, Japan, they're by the window, Switzerland, anybody up here? Folks, is this not incredible? In this room, folks have used that free program. And you remember the Jetsons? You remember how George Jetson used to always barge in? Okay, it's not exactly like that, but being able to, for free, make a video call. I was an exchange student to New Zealand in high school, and it took, and still does, about two weeks to get a letter across, you know, around the world to New Zealand. When the earthquakes happened in Christchurch, which is near Geraldine, where I lived, and my host mom is, still lives, uh, how did we connect? Email? Immediately, you know, are you okay? What happened? Amazing to be able to do that. This is a screenshot of a Skype call with my children back in Edmond, Oklahoma, when I was in Shanghai, China, in September. And we talk about other side of the world, time zones, light and dark, but nothing brings it home than, you know, 8 p.m. in Oklahoma, and I'm showing my daughter, you know, my, my youngest, see, look, here's uh, the skyline of Shanghai. Dad, it's light there. Yeah, it's the other side of the world. We need to bring synchronous, collaborative experiences like this into the classroom. Our children, our students, the members of our communities are growing up in a world where the opportunities to the digitally connected dwarf those of those who are on the other side of the digital divide. It's not just a matter of being able to uh, connect to family. It's also a matter of being able to outsource your work. I sat next to a gentleman on the flight back from Shanghai who was there visiting the factories that were producing the uh, pajamas that his family business sold online because his daughters, who were both in their 30s, 
wanted to be able to stay at home, and he had done a lot with manufacturing. In fact, I think he'd worked for Anheuser-Busch and different manufacturing companies. They have several websites now where they sell pajamas. They don't make them in the States. They have folks in China who produce those. They're, in some cases, designed in Australia, and their IT has been outsourced to India, and they are doing all of this from, from their home in Ohio, and they live real close to each other and their family. Can somebody in Montana do that? Absolutely. What's the barrier? Well, knowledge, high-speed Internet access, the digital divide. But those kind of possibilities are present today. This is a shot of my middle daughter, Sarah, who is now 10 and uh, just learned she's gotten into our public magnet school downtown, Oklahoma City's um, class in SAS. She's so excited. It's a grade 6 through 12 school. And she's uh, got a little device in her hand there. What's she doing? Watching a television program. It's recorded, but it's on her device. I told my kids the other day, you've lived in a really interesting time because we, at one point, had laptop computers in the car watching them on a road trip. Anybody done that before? Was that very safe from a transportation standpoint? We stopped abruptly having these laptops able to fly around the you know, car. No, we're probably never going to do that again because small handheld devices allow us to do that as well. There's a program called Ustream. And that trip that I showed you was a California trip. We went to San Diego last spring break. We'll do it again this year for a children's pastors conference that my wife attends. And when we got to California, my father-in-law called us just shortly after we, we sort of, we didn't land, but we got, we got there in the car, dropped my wife off. What do you think we did first? Folks from Oklahoma, don't get to the coast. We went to the beach immediately. Okay. My father-in-law literally calls me on my iPhone says, Hey, are you there safe? I say, are you at home on your computer? Well, go to my Ustream site. And what was he able to do? He was able to see our kids live because there's a 3G connection playing in the water. And after, this was automatically recorded and I cross posted it to YouTube. Um, there was some stutter here and some delay. It was really traumatic because my youngest, Rachel, lost her flip-flop, brand, brand new pair of flip-flops. It got sucked out into the water, you know? And so he saw live how, you know, we found it, it came back, and she was relieved and didn't have to walk around with, you know, one foot barefooted the rest of the trip. What a crazy thing to be able to do that sort of connection ad hoc because there was a, a speedy connection, able to experience and share life together um, in person. So you were somebody was telling a FaceTime story. What was your FaceTime story? Did you, are you being put on the spot with FaceTime? Um, I my doctoral advisor in the building uh, teaches a couple of uh, ed tech classes in the building, and one of his new new uh, um, bits, I guess, is that during the first day of the class, he'll throw on FaceTime on the iPod Touch, and then he'll call me wherever I happen to be at, and he'll just hand around the thing in the room. So a couple times I've been in Helena, a couple times I've been in Missoula. One time I was actually literally sitting outside of the fast food restaurant using the wireless, and um, and I, he was able to literally hand me around the room with the iPod. So if you're not familiar, I mean, now Skype is, is available on the iPhone. Uh, Skype bought a, a company called Kik, Q-I-K, which was doing a Ustream broadcast type thing. But video conferencing right here on the phone. I hadn't got, I hadn't purchased a new iPhone 4 until Thanksgiving when I was there in Liberty, Missouri with my sister's family and my family. And my mom, who had one, called her brother and right there, oh, and here's your new nephew, you know, here's Cole right here, you know, four weeks old, six weeks old. 
that's transformative. That's a big deal. That didn't require setting up this laptop and getting this camera ready and all the things that we used to do. So in Yukon, Oklahoma, may have heard of Yukon, know why Yukon's famous? Who's a famous singer from Yukon? Anybody know? Garth Brooks. Um, he, Yukon uh, Public Schools, the superintendent of, uh, a couple weeks ago went into the classroom via a phone. Okay, because in his office, he dialed one of the assistant superintendents who was there and seeing students and talking with students in the classroom. These technologies are only going to get more magical. They're only going to get more powerful. And probably they're only going to get more ubiquitous. It doesn't mean everyone's going to have a phone like this, but in five, certainly ten years, we're all going to be watching video or television on our phones. I watched my first uh, bowl game this holiday season on my phone. My One of our dogs was sick. I couldn't be at home. K-State was playing their bowl game. Moby TV, $12. 30 days subscription. I'm able to watch the bowl game on the phone. So I really think we need to do more bringing experts into the classroom. Um, Apple has their FaceTime for Mac, so you can install this on the laptop, and then you know the remote side can be the phone, and then the local side can be sharing the, the, the video here. This was uh, Thanksgiving two years ago, right, 2008. Uh, how many screens do you see pictured here? Well, supposedly we're watching a football game, but my wife, who's in this first chair on the left, is actually emailing my dad, who's on the laptop on the right. My mom is on her iPhone doing something. My daughter is on the couch with her learning something from my cousin, or her cousin, who is on his phone. You know, my, middle, my youngest is probably having the most fun. She's dancing in the middle of the room with no screen. But this year I asked, when we took a Christmas picture, everyone to hold their screens, okay? So everybody's got their device, whether that's a little iPod Touch or some kind of a phone, screens are becoming ubiquitous. They're becoming smaller. They're becoming more powerful. It's challenging, right? How many of you uh, uh, told your kids, we're not going to have the computer in the, in the bedroom? Have you said that? Okay. Well, do they have their phone in the bedroom? Do they have their, you know, PSP or whatever kind of gaming device that they've got that has internet access? It's challenging. It raises new issues. So what can your students do with the screen? I'm going to show you a short video that was created at a summer camp in California. And the question I want you to think about, I'm going to try not to wander around as much because I know our video is sort of more tethered today because of these cameras. The question I want you to think about is, what if the child who made this video, who's a teenager in high school, what if this child is in your school, is in your classroom, and you had no idea that he had the skills to make something like this? This was made in a summer camp that a group called Fresh Brains uh, put on in California. And I'll uh, just mention, this is the best scouting recruitment video I've ever seen. This was a photo a few years ago when my son uh, crossed over in, into uh, Boy Scouts from, from Cub Scouts. I asked uh, for a copy of this video because I want to use this video when we recruit for our, our Boy Scout troop. It's that good.
summer camp video that a high school kid made? Yeah. Now, was that the first time he'd made a video? I am positive it was not. <laughs> None of us are going to create a Steven Spielberg, you know, classic the first time. But he started somewhere, right? Somewhere he started. I teach a fifth grade Sunday school class, and we had um, some of our kids shared uh, some videos that they had made just over the weekend because they, they had flip cameras like we're going to use this afternoon. And one of them had gone down to our Apple store for some one-on-one -on -one training and learned how to make Final Cut. Anyway, this kid's in fifth grade. He's 11. I was like, oh, my gosh. And all these different cuts and these different characters and everything. What can your kids do with a screen? See, we've got to make this transition from simply being the consumers of the content and the viewers of it to being the creators. We have got to encourage everyone, not just kids, to be more critical consumers of media. We're manipulated all the time. I hope when you go to the grocery store and if you've got young grandchildren or children, you know, I particularly talk to my girls about this, none of these photos are real girls. You know that, right? Every single one of these is airbrushed. Every single one of these is manipulated. Every single sign that you see on a billboard or on a television screen is designed to get you usually to buy something, to take some kind of action. So Rushton Hurley is the person who leads Next Vista for Learning. And that video, um, I will provide the link. I don't think I actually have linked it yet, but I will put the link to that original QuickTime file. It's not on YouTube, but you can download that. If you'd like to share that, use that to talk with other people about, look, this is what kids can do. Um, Next Vista is a great website with lots of different videos that students and others have created. Um, Rushton says Next Vista is his Save the World nonprofit. This is mine. It's called Story Chasers, and it's not just mine. It's a, a um, project we've been doing for four years in Oklahoma. Uh, you've heard of Storm Chasers. Well, we chase stories. We're the Story Chasers, and we've done an oral history project now that we uh, has resulted in over 840 videos being created by students and teachers from around our state. We do a two and a half day workshop with a digital backpack where 
teachers get a digital camera and a headset with a microphone and a recorder. It's like the one I'm wearing today. You can get these for $35 now at Walmart, an RCA battery-operated version. Plugs right into your device. Okay, it's USB-ready. This is a transformative technology. Why? Because I can check it out. I can give it to the kids. I can have it in the library. We've got schools in Midwest City that have these as part of their library, and kids check them out and can take them home and interview a parent or interview a relative and share. And part of the motivation for that was a trip I took in 2007 to Pearl Harbor. And how many of you have been to Fort Island and been to the USS Arizona Memorial? Anybody been there before? Well, to place this in context, I am standing in the fire station on uh, Fort Island looking out at the USS Missouri, which is docked right next to where the USS Oklahoma was docked on December 7, 1941. Pictured in this photo, Dick Pryor in the middle from OETA, is facilitating a video conference. And we've got our video conference equipment set up in the fire station. Any guesses why we're in the fire station? What do you think the firemen had to offer us? Bandwidth. Bandwidth, right. The only high-speed Internet connection in the entire place. And we literally got this long 100-foot cable from Best Buy, in, or it was uh, CompUSA uh, at the time, in uh, Honolulu, and ran that all the way back you know, to our video conference. Um, anybody know why the USS Missouri uh, was significant in the Second World War? Um, its role. Any historians um, around the 1945 era? It was the ship on which the Japanese surrendered to Douglas MacArthur. In fact, we had a group of junior ROTC students from uh, Claremore, Oklahoma, uh, who were part of the, the uh, celebration. We dedicated a memorial to the USS Oklahoma. They spent the night on the Missouri, and the following morning we joined them while a docent told the story of the surrender. Uh, ironically, he was from Hiroshima, the docent was, who told us the story. But in this video conference, we have two survivors. We have Paul Goodyear on the left, who was a signalman, and he was topside on the Oklahoma when the torpedoes hit. And we have um, a um, gentleman whose name is eluding me right now, should be in my notes, um, who, is a, who was a cook who was trapped underneath uh, the USS Oklahoma. It was one of those uh, men who was cut out and rescued. But Paul Goodyear is, is talking to our kids. We have 11 Oklahoma schools connected live to this video conference. And he turns around and he says, and it was about there I crawled out of the water. And he tells the story of what happened. And I had this thought. We have chances today to be digital witnesses. How many of you recorded or have recordings of your grandparents or great-grandparents on audio or video or something? Okay, a few of you do. How would you price the value of those recordings? Can you put a price on them? Yeah, if those folks are gone, their voices are gone unless we've recorded and saved them. Today, we have this opportunity to record and share not only with the local audience here, but with a global audience. And that is really a big deal. So, I encourage you to think about, as we talk technology today, how are you going to motivate people in your community to see the constructive and positive value of technology? One of the most difficult to dispute ideas is oral history. Because if you or your students will record some of the stories of people in your community and will share them, either just with audio or you put them with pictures, which is what we teach folks to do using Photo Story or iMovie. We're not using flip cameras, just still pictures with, with audio. That can be a real powerful thing. And it can really mean a lot to the families that are involved and the communities that are involved. 
Um, how many of you are connected in some way to a serviceman or servicewoman serving currently uh, in our armed forces? You know, it's easy to forget we're a nation at war. And if you are not connected in some way because your spouse or your relative or your neighbor is deployed, it's easy to forget. And so we have uh, focused at different times on veteran stories. Um, and it's important for a variety of reasons for us to not only recognize the sacrifices of those service members, but also the sacrifices of their families. Uh, it's important as a nation. So, yes, Karen? It's hard for texting with you when I'm on video, but um, just a little story that kind of relates to that. I have a, my husband has a cousin whose son recently went into the Marines. He was 18. It was a tough decision when he was 17 to sign the paperwork, but that was the, the choice that he had made and he wanted to go. His mother, um, when while he was going through boot camp, started a blog in her early 50s, had never done anything like this, started blogging about the, the feelings she was having while the first part of this, she had no contact with him at all. And then as she started to be able to exchange letters with him, his responses in the letters um, and what they were you know, feeling at that time, uh, lots of pictures posted uh, as he, um, when he went through his graduation, and just was a wonderful thing that she did to document this. And this is somebody who doesn't have anything to do with education technology. She, she works, um, I think, as a dental hygienist, but felt like she really wanted to share her experience. She called it Marine's Mom. And, um, and she linked it to her Facebook, so every time she would post people in the family, many of my husband's family found out about the blog and were commenting and reading, and it kept us all in the know, and, was, and it was just a really wonderful experience to be able to follow what was happening with Josh while none of us were able to have contact with him. So just a I'm glad you jumped in. And, you know, one of the things I haven't done yet, and we're going to do it right now, is to give you a chance to talk with people at your table. So I'm going to give you three minutes. One of my favorite websites is online-stopwatch.com. You don't have to have Promethean board, smart board, any software installed. Just go to the website. It goes full screen like this. We set the time, and um, we'll go. It'll even have a little bell that will go off. And what I want you to do, and if anybody at your table has on Twitter, because this is what we're going to shift into in a minute, we're going we're gonna to give you more time with Twitter, um, you can go ahead and tweet some of these comments. What are some things that have been talked about so far or mentioned um, that you think are maybe worth applying or worth taking, uh, taking back? What are some of your takeaways or some of the things that have provoked you in your thinking this morning? All right, so take three minutes, and we'll also ask our uh, remote sites for somebody to share in a minute at Billings and in um, our other remote site.
of requirements and stuff like that. So just ongoing need of everything that's needed to that hand. So instead of Twitter.com, it's Twitter. Well, Twitter is just a tool that works with Twitter. Okay. So Twitter, you're posting your posts, right? So is that who to follow? This is twitterfall.com, which is it. Go to a new tab. Just open a new tab. Leave your Twitter tab. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, that kind of stuff, I think, is an interesting question. Open question. I'm going to leave. I have to go back to my school. Okay, very good. When we get to Trans Little. Yeah, this is what they're saying about live stream. Okay. I just dropped out because I was using Hardwire. Good. But um, they're having a hard, they're saying that their site it's not letting them on. The server's not there, but I know it is because I've been watching it. Okay. So I'm going to pull the camera in a little bit more so that they can see. Right. So you're going to box in a little bit more. Good. Well, it's excellent. You've got that option. Is that with the Chamber content? Uh, yeah. Well, they're recording this whole thing all day and so that they can just let it out live stream at the same time. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, when's the vote? Yeah, because we can't see the local side to right. be able to zoom in. And I know that was the most taxing of the video. I mean, that's that's taxing for this video card, much less, you know, streaming it out. Okay. Let's ask for just a couple volunteers to share something that was mentioned at your table or something that was discussed. Uh, we'll ask for a couple folks here in Missoula to share, and then we'll see if somebody in, uh, in Billings will share. We'll put Karen on the spot, and we will um, ask somebody at Kalispell to, to uh, share as well. So you know there's lots of fingers being pointed right now in those locations. So uh, would anybody volunteer to start here in Missoula? We've got our microphones that are here in the ceiling, so if you just speak up, hopefully they'll be able to... Uh, to hear. Anybody, it doesn't have to be your idea. It could be something somebody else said at the table. What were you all talking about? Yes. And by the way, why don't you say who you are and where you're from? My name is Joanne Cousins. My grandmother is 92. And we taught her how to Skype and email. And so at the last two Christmases, we've been able to Skype with her. She's been able to keep in contact with her 32 grandkids and 17 great grandchildren and four great great grandchildren. Um, and then this morning on my Facebook, I got a friend request from my grandma, who is 92, so I thought that was pretty cool. And it's a good thing for us to personally connect and use these tools. It's ridiculous to expect teachers who have not become comfortable, like they probably are with email today, to suddenly make this leap into video conferencing or suddenly make this leap into back channels if they haven't become comfortable using it in other ways. So that's a great story. Somebody. My point is my 92 grandmother is obviously 
Amen. Right? It's about desire and motivation. And, it's, and, and motivation's a key too, right? Why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it because I'm going to connect to other people I care about and I want to have a window into their lives. Similarly, if we're going to do a project that's a collaboration, it shouldn't be, ooh, it's a Skype project. No, Skype might be one tool among several that we use to collaboratively make something together. Whether that's a document we write together, poetry we create, a project in Scratch, a game we make, there's different things we can create. Somebody else here in Missoula. Yes, sit down. Who you are and where you're from Um, first, please. My name is Kathleen Vance, and I'm the principal director at Hamilton. And we're just getting all excited because in Hamilton, our difficulty has been that our community will not pass a tech level. We're one of the very few in the state that don't have one. And our board committed to doing trying again in May. And the difficulty has always been to try and get the, the view of technology to the community that's so different than when they were in school. They still vision school as sitting in a desk, paper, pencil, taking a test, and you know, whatever. Um, and they go, well, why do you need that? I didn't need it when I was in school, that kind of thing. So your idea of story chasers. Um, I think would be a really great way for our tech people, our gifted and talented specialists, those sorts of people to get together and have and figure out a project where they go into the community, get the kids engaged with community members, and then put together a community project yes. and maybe interface with our uh, our museum down there. But we've got to do it before April. That's right. And I would love to help share ideas. All the resources we have for story chasers are available, the handouts, and just also the lessons learned. You know, uh, it's, it's not rocket science to create the video. In fact, it's pretty easy. You use that word carefully with people. But the challenging part is um, conducting the interview, right, doing the, the questioning, asking open-ended questions, not closed-ended questions. And there's great resources from StoryCorps. They have a question generator, uh, depending upon the person, if, they're, if they are a veteran, if they are related to you. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are great resources that are out there. So... Glad that struck the court. I'm Cass Rockman. I work with Western Montana CSPD. And along that line, Kathleen, that stuff from um, Center on Research and Learning in, in Kansas from the university, right. they have research on the value of stories as a strategy. Right. Our so, thing is, is that we've got to figure out a way to quickly raise awareness because unless we get the support of the community with, the, with money, Right. And here's an example of a couple links that would be great to put into our back channel. Karen mentioned that blog, and I don't know if, Karen, you can fetch that uh, readily or or get it later, but we can share that. The research you just mentioned, was that from the University of Kansas Uh about the value of stories? I'd love to see that research, right? How am I going to get that link? Well, if it's put into our back channel, then there's a way for it to be archived and for us to see it later. Um, Let's go out to our remote sites. Karen, I'll put you on the spot first, then we'll go to Billings, and then we'll go to Kalispell. What were some of the things going through your mind in our first hour together? Well, I was sitting here talking with my cat. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, actually, in all of these things, um, somebody tweeted, I think it was Cindy Kennedy. I don't know where she's located, but I saw... She's right here in Missoula. There she is. That you wanted to collect, um, you know, things from your parents because you missed out with your grandparents. And 
my father passed away about three years ago, and he um, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and, and had a very and only once diagnosed had seven weeks that he actually lived before he passed away. Um, but the first weekend after he found out, I hung an MP3 recorder around his neck for the entire weekend and made him just tell stories. You know, it didn't make him just talk to him and listen to those stories. And I have about 20 hours of video of uh, audio recordings of him talking and, and telling stories about Vietnam and, and just talking with my daughter and, and things along those lines. And uh, after he passed away, we, we didn't do a, a funeral right away or a memorial. We did it in October that year. He passed away in May. Um, he donated his body to St. Louis University, and so they do a, um, a memorial for people who have done that every year. But my daughter and I put together, you know, a, a typical photo story type of thing of photos of my dad and some music and things. But one of the best things about it was that I was able to clip a piece of audio, and in the middle of that, it's his voice, and he's telling a story. And all of his brothers and sisters and everyone that were there um, were very surprised to hear him, you know, because you don't expect to hear that person speaking. And I've, I've clipped and... Um, edited and changed all that video many times to, to use and just, you know, have in places and listen and even just to listen to. Makes me cry. Makes me cry when you talk about it. But, um, you know, those types of things with people that mean a lot to you and, and as people said, you know, there's a lot of things out there Hallmark has now that you can record voices of grandma and send books. There's a reason people are doing this. You know, we, we want to stay connected with people and, and so that's kind of what I was thinking about was in terms of, you know, being connected to people who have passed and also making sure we make those connections. Absolutely. Let's go to Billings. Somebody somebody brave in Billings willing to uh, share a thought of something you all talked about or were thinking about after our first hour together. Do you need Kalispell? Well, we can go to Kalispell first. That's fine. Yes, go ahead, Kalispell. No, this. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. Go ahead. You know, I was teaching at teach fourth grade, and um, I'm doing the Native American project. And my kids are researching the, the reservations here in Montana. And one of my students, her great grandmother is an elder on the Grove in uh, the Fort Belknap Reservation and the Grovebon tribe. And I was thinking how cool it would be to send my flip camera home with her, so she could somehow get some stories recorded. Either with her great grand great grandmother, which would be great, or just even family stories that she could clip and bring back and share with our kids. Yes. There's a lot of issues that surround that. And I I am really a big fan of audio. Um, video is great, but it can be more intimidating, and we'll experience this today, this afternoon, as we have 30, I think, flip cameras that we're going to be able to use. It's a lot more intimidating to have a flip camera sitting there in front of your face, okay, tell me this, than to have an audio recorder, which I turn on, sit down on the table, and then basically forget about. Because I'm not making eye contact with the technology, I'm making eye contact with you, the person who's talking to me. So I uh, totally resonate with that idea. I mean, Oklahoma, we have 36 sovereign nations recognized by the federal government within our boundaries. We know in, in the formal curriculum of schools so little about the history of our tribes and the stories of our tribes. Um, in our Oklahoma Voices project, we only have a few stories that have been created so far um, sharing some tribal stories. Uh, the preservation of language, the preservation of history, um, there's, there, there's a lot of issues that come into that. Um, 
So, yes, I'm glad you thought of that. And empowering students to be the ones who go and ask for recordings and then help document. It's Who's read uh, Brokaw's The Greatest Generation? Have you read that book? So Brokaw, in, in, in the ideas of some, has given permission to a generation of Americans to tell their stories about World War II that they never told before, for whatever reason, because they just didn't talk about it. They came back, they went to work, they got back to life. You might get stories in your community if you do a project like this that, that children will elicit from grandparents that the children didn't know about and had never heard of before. The technology piece of this is really not the hard part. The other pieces are much more challenging. But the good news is the skills that kids get as they craft this story and they make decisions about how it is they're going to cut this down, and then just the interview process. So many folks will lament text messaging. You heard somebody say that recently? I, Karen and I sat next to somebody on the airplane flying into Amarillo who basically was, these kids today, they can't ride nothing. All they're doing is texting. They can't even ride. They come to work for me. Well, maybe they need to write more in school. Maybe they need to be challenged to up their bar. It's not just about an assignment for a grade in our class. It's about a contribution to our community. It's about helping document with respect some of the life history of another human being. Wow, that's at a totally different scale than I'm doing this for my six weeks grade, right? Um, Billings, are you all still on the line? Somebody there want to want to share? Yeah, we're still here. All right, very good. Well, please share who who you are and then uh, share a takeaway. <laughs> we're glad you're still with us. Well, you were talking about audio, and I thought it was interesting. I actually work with pre-service teachers, and I gave them a project. To, well, I gave them two, one to do an audio and one to do a video. Uh, the students seemed to pick up very well on it, but the thing that actually got my attention actually happened outside of the class. Uh, one of my students lost her father during the course of the project. And one of the things that they were able to do is to use Audacity to make audio recordings and have uh, fathers, friends, and relatives tell stories about him. Then they would be able to share them with everyone. Absolutely. We're all going to intersect with the ideas of this workshop at, in different places. And I do want to keep us on schedule, and so we're going to take a break at this point for uh, 15 minutes. In that 15-minute period of time, though, if you are not already on Twitter, you do not have a Twitter account, I would like you to find somebody at your table or one of our other facilitators to help you create an account because what we're going to do next is we're going to have some hands-on time for everybody to be within Twitter and we're going to watch a few videos and then reflect in the back channel. And we want to help everybody do that. So the pre prerequisite to that is really being on Twitter. You do not have to use your real name for your Twitter account. You do not have to identify where you live. You can use some kind of an alias. However, and I'll say this is my last thing before we go to break. Five years ago, I don't know if you remember this, what was the feeling about disclosing who you were online? Did we do that at all? No, we wouldn't do that because somebody would kidnap us, right? Somebody would get us. 
Now, it is still true that there are predators out there and there are malicious things that, and harmful things that people will do to, to children and others and that we've got to develop the ability to know what to do when we're approached by strangers. But it has definitely changed as an adult, and that's the question is, when do you go public and start using your real name and not an alias? Um, where today, your digital footprint, and we'll talk about this, is really important. People will Google, how many of you have Googled somebody you're hiring or that's going to come to your school, or you've just Googled them for more information? Who's Googled their child? You know, you've gone on with your child to their Facebook account, hey, let's look at your Facebook profile. Oh, I don't want you to do that, Mom. <laughs> well, why? Let's, I mean, let's look at your boyfriend. Let's see what he's saying. You know, what kind of photos are up? Oh, look at that. Huh. Were you there? <laughs> is that you? Okay. So you've got 15 minutes. We're going to take a break. But if you are not on Twitter yet, find somebody else. And please help those people that need to get accounts. We'll come back in 15 minutes.